Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young's Angel in the Forest. We are outside because it's beautiful and cool and the birds are chirping and my dog is puking. So I'm having to leave her. Oh, great. She's going to be outside for a while. Uh, she's going to upset stomach. I don't know why. All right, so we're going to leave her there. This is a short chapter. Uh, we're on page 236, and it's called Serpents in the Garden. Robert Owen had gained the Gazette reported complete ascendancy over the minds of others. He was such a man as the world had never seen before, it generally believed. I bear witness to the sayings of Christ. I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all things unto me. Okay, we're going to hear her bark, because that's just what's going to happen. The furnaces, the dye houses, the shoemaking establishment in a corner of the cruciform church, all were to be put at an, earlier, at an early date under altruistic management, when the ego should be harnessed like a tie to the mood of a rational social order. There were other glorious prospects. Some denied their will to live. An angel, it seems, was on the verge of descending to the hop fields, carrying a great key in his hands. All of the knowledge seemed a vanity. Man yearned for paradise. The first person to desert the ranks was Captain MacDonald of the Engineers. The Constitution, he said, was complicated, unintelligible, and unnecessary. He had simply wished for this community to revert through the recognition of certain unwritten laws to Sweet Auburn in the Vale, a place where might be heard the evening bells, the lowing cows, the gabble of geese, the water dog's voice, the milkmaid's song, the loud laugh that spoke the vacant mind, and other sounds. And every root of ground would have maintained its man as now its tree. All the works would be those of grace. Captain MacDonald's goal being only a rural society. There were other complainants. The new bookkeeper discovered that the burden of bankrupt capitalism in a communistic society was too great to bear. He wondered that he had been a critic of Mr. Pierce backstairs with his little brown jug under the rabbi's handwriting. May God have pity on our souls. Or words to that effect, for he could not translate German. Mr. Pierce, the secretary to the permanent co committee, felt worse than ever before, like a dissolving star. Mrs. Pierce could hardly contain her furies. The Pearsons felt better because they had been raised in their station, but the Pierces had been lowered step by step. They had hoped against hope that Robert Owen's return would effect a miracle. Nothing had been produced but a pretentious constitution. In fact, with Robert Owen's return, all hope had taken flight forever. The pit of hell seemed up open under Mrs. Pierce's feet. To Uncle Bakewell, she wrote that she came away from each lecture on happiness more unhappy than, than she went. Not that she was perverse, but that she represented an important part of human nature. The third part of the moon was already dark. Yea, she was going down a very dark sky, so blind she could hardly see the dogs barking all the way. She felt enslaved, enchained, pursued. There were so many troubles. She would never be able to do the work which Robert Owen expected of the women, never be able to stand or turn six weeks in the community kitchen cooking for multitudes. The idea of equality made her sick to the bone. Oh, that she could live in a house upheld by those twin pillars praise and blame. There was much of her which was reducible to no system. Neither was she a machine, nor was she a string in the community harp. She must be the whole harp or nothing. As for the males, they were not concerned about the fate of Christianity, caring for nothing more than this world affords. Mrs. Pierce, however, considered the sacrifice she made so blindly, foolishly, leaving Pittsburgh, her place to be empty in the choir of heaven for all she knew. What good had come of it? Not even a feather bed. Mrs. Pierce was convinced that a Christian soul could not be an Owenite. They were poles apart. Okay, so what has always got me about this communist stuff? Like, it all sounds good on paper. I agree, as a form of utopia. But then it's like, it's a worker's paradise. And I'm like, what if you don't want to work? 
<laughs> like not, not all, even, even capitalism, not all work is, uh, I mean, like there's necessary work. Like she said, oh, it, somehow it will be easier if you have women cook for like six weeks, I guess, out of the year to cook for multitudes and then you have the rest of the year off. I mean, that's one thing, but it never works out that way. And, um, uh, also what if you don't want to work? I mean, it's like you work until you die. So animal farm can be taken both. I mean, animal farm, they always use it as a, as a, uh, denouncement of communism, but it's also a denouncement of capitalism because they're going to use you the same way. I mean, the horse dies, the horse is done away with when the horse can't work anymore. He's done away with. That's what happens to a worker. It's not like you, there's a, an end time where you get to retire. Capitalism running the same way. You work until you die. The new retirement age will be, uh, well, it's in the seventies now. <laughs> the new retirement age will be when you die at your work. So the only thing that these societies or isms want from you is work. And the coal miners, like earlier when they were talking about the coal miners, was it coal miners? Cotton mills. The cotton mills, um, coal mining the same way, but like that's far as capitalism. So they're thinking, well, if we do it, communism where the workers, everything. And, and it's like, it's not good either way because inevitably they just want your work. They just want your labor in all respects, like the writers strike and the actors screen guild and writers strike going on right now. Um, I guess one of the executives, I, I'm reading it secondhand from an article that one of the executives said they would use AI before they would uh, ever pay writers. And I'm like, then we, I love this business. Like as soon as IA popped on the scene, then all these businesses are like, we can use IA for everything. Even in my husband's work, they're using IA, trying to use IA. It's not working, but they really, really want it to work or they were just sold on it. I don't know. Uh, companies get sold on stuff as well as how they try to sell to people. So, um, yeah, it's not working. And my other idea is, especially with like self-checkout in the grocery stores and everything that's going on, it's like, then we don't need you. <laughs> like if you want to do all that and just have a computer do all the work and there's no human interaction, then humans don't need you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's how I feel about it. So I go to a little mom and pop store and that's where I do all my grocery shopping because if you're going to do that, then we don't need you. <laughs> you need us. We don't need you. Um, that's why I use pirate all my movies and watch my flickster because I don't need you. I don't want to support that industry period. Anyways. Okay. There's my rant. I don't understand. I never understood that. You don't want to work. Who wants to work? Nobody wants to work. I don't even care if you treat me the best that you ever could. I would like it, but then it's like, but no one wants to do that. Which again, that's what she's talking about. Her status is up here. So you hire people to cook for you and clean. You don't do it yourself. That kind of thing. Which I, I'm not agreeing with either. That's not what I'm saying. I'm doing all my work myself. In fact, I'm getting great exercise cleaning my curbs and sidewalks. And we're going to do the whole thing because we bought the extra lots. Okay, I got to finish this because I got to finish this chapter because, oh crap, no. I got to finish this chapter because it's getting hot out here now. Okay, it was cool and then the wind died. Ugh. Um, 
Mr. Pierce did not agree with his wife at this point. However, his correspondent, Uncle Bakewell, should have good cheer as the true Christianity of the Owen system were the same. Like the Evening Star and Morning Star, which, being deceived by the report made, by, made to their senses, men had for so many ages considered as separate celestial bodies, and still persisted in naming as such. There was always a lagging of time. Mr. Pierce was sure that if Robert Owen's principles could be put into practice, they were not far from being the most perfect Christians of their day. Never had he heard less of deism than in this community of deists. They had all used their sugar. In spite of the permanent constitution, with its guarantee of happiness, there was much unhappiness, and nature convulsed by a storm and threatening thunderclouds. No one had found in life what could never be found there. Two weeks after the adoption of the permanent constitution, the English farmers, soft-spoken men with thistles under their tongues, declared that they were homesick for God, the presence of that stupendous might, and could not endure proximity to so many foreigners. Their one craving was for the sublime, the old assurance of a meaning in their sufferings. Very shortly they withdrew to form two or three miles beyond New Harmony, a separate community which, though it should be a variance with its fate, would have at least the hope of an almighty God. They named it McClurya, in honor of William McClure, that great friend to farmers everywhere. McClurya kept some of the features of a new harmony, discarded others, especially self-knowledge. This legislative body called the Council of Fathers was made up of the five oldest male members under the age of 65 years. Women were given no voice in community affairs. A system of blackballing was instituted whereby undesirable applicants could be turned away. A listless member could be expelled by boat three days, and Macluria was a strange, mysterious people dwelling apart. And what was very sad, New Harmony was deprived not only of communists, but also future cabbages, for these cedars had been the chief providers of foodstuffs. Macluria was but the beginning of the movement toward divinity. Hardly was Macluria established when a second group of farmers, inspired by their example, announced their intention to withdraw. Reason, same, homesickness for God, and the old way of life when men were men, too many foreigners with abstruse ideas, ideals, and don't forget, Women are silent. I'm saying, I added that. They called their community Feiba Paveli, a name denoting latitude and longitude whereby they could be located between the last of the hop fields and the old Rapite bull pasture. Their plan of government was almost identical with that of Macluria. God, fathers, blackballing, no voice for women, and all men to labor by the sweat of their brows. Three days, why? Why no voice for women? Why? Why men? Men, answer this question. Why? Why? <laughs> this comes when I, you know, Iowa, in the middle of the night, Republicans passed an abortion ban in Iowa. <sighs> everything else sounds good. Well, not God, but everything else sounds good. Men labor, but sort of their brows, and women don't. <sighs> Three days in Feiba, Paveli was a strange, mysterious people, and what was very sad, New Harmony was left with almost left almost without food producers at all. There seemed a general movement toward dismemberment. Let me look at my dog and see how she's doing. Oh, she's laying down now. Oh, she's sitting and staring. Okay. The Gazette, however, taking a most cheerful view, announced that by this new exodus, the congestion of population at New Harmony had been greatly relieved. McClurya and Feiba Pavel Paveli were but the branches of this great tree of life. All minds seem now to comprehend the true grounds of future cooperation, and all hearts have united in claiming the benefit of Robert Owen's experience and knowledge and reducing to practice the principles from which form the basis of our association. General satisfaction and individual contentment have taken the place of suspense and uncertainty. So at the oh no, go away. So at the time of depression, there was a oh, oh. Just, oh, oh, okay, okay. 
Yeah, no, no, my kitten fell. Okay, it's on cushions. She, he's fine. So at the time of depression, there was a feeling of expansion. The Gazette, two weeks after the exit of the last farmer, admitted that their reason had been often at variance with their common sense. While they had been discussing the abstract ideas, while they had in vain tried to reconcile clashed opinions, they had neglected the practical means within their reach, which alone could bind man to his fellow man. In short, they had wasted their energies in fruitless endeavors, like men were imbued with heaven and earth. The situation, however, changed as they had seen that it would be impossible to have a movement of any body without a center of force. Already New Harmony was a center of force around which many communities were revolving. McCluria, Faiba, Pavelli, and various others throughout the United States. Hardly a day in which news did not arrive of some new star in this planetary system, science of society. The Gazette, for the moment of forgetful lat for the moment forgetful of latitude and longitude, listed names which might be applicable to such communities. Lovedale, Peace Glen, Everblessed, New Duty, Philosophy, Lovely, Voltaire, Elysium, Plen Platonia, Socrates, Utopia, Confucia, Powhatan. The growth of their ideal, they realized, had been incommensurable with even their wildest expectations. For the benefit of branches of this parent order, the Gazette listed a number of helpful hints from which that may be gathered what had been the former experience at New Harmony, though its streets no longer presented groups of idle talkers, and there was now an order very different from that of desolation. There must be, if such a community endures, the gale, for we are all at sea on a wide ocean, no abuse, growling, carping, murmuring against the work of others, no anger ought to be felt against the female members upon their aversion to the work of cooperation, for when they indulge in brawling, loud talk, hair-pulling, or other forms of excitement, the lazy and the intemperate must be treated with the utmost consideration, not as objects of scorn. There must be no distinctions in eating and drinking among the members. Adult members should not stalk about in the dining hall during meals. Children should not be allowed to run wild in the dining hall and should be encouraged to be careful of their language. Evidently, where there had been the reign of reports before, peace now reigned in new harmony. Alas, no sooner were the Gazette pages dry than cropped up a great battle between Goliath and David, Esau and Jacob, right in the heart of new harmony. The mechanics, greaseless illiterates, who were lucky to be alive, for they knew not the secret of any machinery, complained that the educators were trying to make hewers of wood and drawers of water out of them. They had expected equality of all classes and new harmony, and what had they found but the old injustice themselves like poor babes delivered up to Herod? How did the educators justify their existence, since the mechanics had experienced as yet no enlightenment on any subject, but were as puzzled as ever they were, if not more puzzled? Where were the manufacturers, the free goods, the stout shoes? The pale lily-livered educators complained that they were being stamped down to the lowest level as by an almighty foot, and that they could not willingly suffer their minds to be destroyed by a communistic society which must come to recognize for its own salvation that the productions of the brain were invisible or as important as any other. The mechanics were legion, and the educators were few. It looked as if New Harmony was about to lose all those few minds which did the correct thinking, with the educators with their strange mania for golden birds. They chose Robert Dale to lead them to some happier island in the watery waste. A sanctuary for the pleasures of the intellect. Robert Owen offered no objection. With that great remnant of mechanics, he might still be able to build a better world. He pointed to cut off a rich, soil, a rich soil which might be submerged in another season. Lo, it is yours, he said. Theoretically, the educators might have enjoyed living like what the wild goats on the island of Calypso. Actually, this was another story. 
cut off where there were many wild pigs. The educators were forced to remain in New Harmony, at least for the time being, when the mechanics urged that Robert Owen assume unchallenged leadership, thus to guide them out of this wilderness. The educators accused him of despotism. There could be no agreement. Many strains and tensions were splitting the social rock. There were drunks in the cruciform church and sacrilege in the graveyard. The preachers who camped at the gate saw ample fulfillment of their prophecies. Complaints, both serious and factious, began to pour in from all sides. Why were the wise men of the East paid for their services while the mechanics were not? Why was it the people of New Harmony were not permitted to see the model of the proposed rectangular village, although it had been shown to the President of the United States? Had Robert Owen revealed to the people of New Harmony the entirety of his scheme, and what were the threatening concealed elements? Why a rectangle? What was the superiority of the hollow square over parallel sides at a convenient distance apart? over a hollow triangle, pentagon or hexagon. How? In the erection of the new building, should the unevenness of the ground be avoided? How level the hills? How keep the aspen leaves from quivering? Why had they never seen the golden book of nature? The mechanics wanted to know. How could nature's pages be blank? The educators wanted to know. Oh my gosh, I have to stop. Hold on. And here I thought I could sit outside and it would be quiet and peaceful and <laughs> just like New Harmony. <sighs> it was the spring of the year, almost the end of spring, and Mrs. Pierce reported to Uncle Bakewell that her condition was unimproved. Her health had received a shock in this place from which she had never recover. She would never recover. Even Mr. Pierce was beginning to be homesick for Pittsburgh, though he had left it so willingly. Uncle Bakewell replied that he was not in the least surprised at the course the new moral planet had taken. It was nothing unusual, alas, but old as the hills. Not suddenly could a change be brought about in the minds of ill-doers, Uncle Bakewell feared. If the mass should divest itself of old humors and habits, he would become a convert to sudden conversions, too, but was convinced by his experience that the past must be our safest guide to the future world. He had longed to see by experiment whether man is altogether the creature of habit and that he may be formed into an angel or devil according to the circumstance with which you surround him. He had hoped that man might be illuminated. Yea, he too had wished to build a world of glass, employing the talent of glass blowers and all beautiful devices of air and light, the last decision of character, the rose that fates not, a luster of the present hour. His hot blood had grown cold at the very thought. In consequence of mental isolation, he had imagined a vacuum, a mythological elysium, an abode of shadows, less real and more real than earth, an abstract heaven over the naked rock. He had realized, as never before, that God is the greatest glass blower of all, beside whom other efforts shatter, and a man's self is more than its ingredients. 
Mrs. Peer's letters continued in a sad vein. She was a dry thorn, burning, etc. What a misfortune to have been born twice. She suffered from a variety of religious experiences. Cruelty seemed to her as much as a kindness, a characteristic of man. He felt a kind of oblivion engulfing her and found it difficult to remember Aunt Bakewell's face, so wise, so old, so placid, so unadventuresome, so secure. New Harmony became increasingly regimented, Mrs. Pierce reported. Maria was to be taken from her and placed in a large boarding school. Robert Owen had been remonstrated with as to the property of housing young males and females in the same building, remonstrated, okay, but had said that in six months' time they would be so used to it they would not mind. How Mrs. Pierce was going to get through the cooking, washing, and scrubbing, she really did not know. In Maria's place, she must accept a family with an infant under two years. It made no difference that Clinton could take care of himself. There would always be another baby to look out for, another voice crying in the middle of the night. More wet diapers, more teething, more troubles. If Mrs. Pierce was sick, she would have to go to a hospital, no sweet Maria to pat the pillow, but leering strangers. How cruel to divide families in order to unite them. If this was logic, it was unhuman. The beginning of tides on a barren shore, its prevalence, Mrs. Pierce felt, would put the human type in danger, and that was not the worst of it. If one was sick, it would be necessary to have the doctor's permission to stay at home from work. Mrs. Pierce looked forward to nothing now but a new Jerusalem, Pittsburgh being out of the question. Where was the infinite variety, the integration of all riches which had been promised at New Harmony? There was nothing but coldness and desertion of the spirit. One was made as tame as barnyard poultry, finally. I absolutely begin to feel myself a complete slave. Even Mr. Pierce had come to the point of admitting a complete failure, though when men abandon practice for theory, they lose themselves in the wilderness. The grand forces had originated in the nature of things, not in systems of bookkeeping, not in constitution writing. The Pierce's continued their letter writing. Mrs. Pierce knew that Aunt Bakewell would be as outraged as she was by the new fashions and clothes. The woman's costume was a pair of under-trousers tied around the ankles and an exceedingly full slip reaching to the knees. The men's was a pair of wide pantaloons, a top garment that very full, bound round the waist with a broad belt. A fat person dressed in this elegant garment might be compared with a Russian or a feather bed tied in the middle. It was difficult to distinguish the sexes from a distance. The men with their bare necks looked as if they were equipped for the executioner. Mrs. Pierce had been eyewitness to a macabre wedding. The parties with their bridesmaids and groomsmen in striped burlap, black and white, like prisoners. The bride wore the uniform in which she had done a week scrubbing out of rat holes so it could not be very nice. She had first dressed herself in stainless white and veil, but was persuaded by Robert Owen, the bridegroom, to lay aside these trappings of the old, immoral world. The change cost her many bitter tears. Robert Owen had performed the wedding ceremony with no more feeling than a butcher. Both Mrs. Pierce and the bride had been sick at heart. A marriage beginning so inauspiciously was bound to end in disaster. Even Sunday was not a day of rest, as Mrs. Pierce had to catch up on her sewing. She was turning a few old skirts. She felt that far from attaining, she had lost her inner equilibrium. She had begun to take cognizance of things only when they were presented to her in succession, moment by moment, and was terrified to realize that the past seemed faded like a dream. Where was the Mrs. Pierce within Mrs. Pierce? Where was her soul? Who finally was happy in New Harmony, a scene of conflict between individuals and a stillborn collectivism? Many years later, an old woman recalled her childhood in the Owenite schools. The republic within the republic, headed by Neef, was not happy. Old Neef, the creature of habit, had continued the strange strategies of war. Old Neef, gloomy as Napoleon after Waterloo, would send a detail to milk cows or blow his whistle when an attack was to be made on a weed plot. The children were a regiment, but they could not see their enemy. They were never allowed to fall out of line. They were given exactly fifteen minutes for each meal, Old Neef standing guard with his perpetual whistle. 
It was an everlasting mush they ate, with a rhythm of heads bobbing up and down, every spoon at the same level with every other. That was the only harmony. Old Neef escorting the children to bed at sundown somehow faced something worse than Wellington. He was all thumbs. And bed the children thought that if they ever got out of the army, they would kill themselves eating sugar and cake. They had visions of houses made of raisin muffins and trees bearing taffy apples. They wanted their parents, too. It happened that their bunks were suspended by chains from the ceiling. One child would swing back and set the whole row bumping together as all would sing softly not to disturb old Neef's slumbers at his post. Number two, pigs locked up in a pen. When they get out, it's now and then. When they get out, they smell about. For fear, old Neef will find them out. So again, all of this starts because Robert Owen, so it's all ego, but all of this starts with Robert Owen, like seeing conditions, like it started well, like seeing conditions uh, for workers and children, for men, women, and children, and wanting to improve them. And like, I don't know, treat people like human beings. <laughs> so, so all of this starts that way. But then, oh no, I know, I can prove it by starting a whole colony of people like so he was a cotton mill like businessman but had no clue what he was doing there yeah all the pitfalls of all of the stuff all right thank you for sorry for the interruptions and thank you for listening bye